0: This Sunday, we begin a sermon series on the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation is a daunting book uh, for many, yours truly included in that. It's a book full of imagery uh, and fascinating scenes. And for that reason, uh, many people just uh, don't pay much attention to the book of Revelation. And so for the next eight weeks, if you fall into that category, we're going to rectify that problem and we're going to think about the book of Revelation together. Uh, Because it is a daunting book and a challenging book, I've actually uh, outsourced the first sermon. So John, (laughs) John's going to answer all of your questions about the book of Revelation. Thank you, John. I first started coming to this church about, about 13 years ago when it started. And during that time, I've been asked to preach about 25 times. And I thought that uh, when David called me in in January to consider preaching today, I said, well, gee, you know, maybe David's warming up to me. Uh, He likes me. Um, I suspect that uh, he's been somewhat jealous of me because, uh, as I pointed out to him, I I went to a better seminary than he did. But uh, we'll let that go for now. But." So when he told me that uh, we were gonna start this series on uh, uh, Revelation, on the phone I scoffed and I said, nobody knows what that means. And he said, just as he hung up, you better get up to speed real quick, (laughs) boom. So here we are. Um, Today is uh, the second Sunday in Easter. Uh, It's traditionally known as Low Sunday um, uh, things are quieter because of all the festivities. Um, but uh, as we take a look, at, and, and usually in, at this time, uh, we do uh, other passages. For instance, the gospel passage uh, for today is about uh, doubting Thomas. And when, I, when he first asked me to preach, I, I thought, oh, this is good. I like doubting Thomas. And then I was thrown into the deep end uh, with this one. Uh, but uh, on, on further reflection uh, uh, and looking at uh, this new series, uh, despite the fact that it normally comes in the season of Advent, um, it really does fit into uh, where we are in our lives and the life of the church. Uh, if we take a look at the uh, Anglican calendar, which starts with uh, Advent, the four, uh, four Sundays before Christmas, we have this, uh, the season of Advent. And we focus on that time and the more human side of Jesus uh, on his family, the details of his humble birth, his vulnerability. Uh, Then it culminates into Christmas. And we have the manger scene and the little baby uh, and uh, the shepherds, the angels, the wise men. It's a a picture that we can really get our arms around and really uh, tugs at our hearts. Then we go through the season of Epiphany, which is the revelation of Christ to the Gentiles, his ministry, uh, his teaching, his preparation for what was going on. Then we enter Lent and uh, we face Jesus' passion, uh, his misunderstandings among the disciples, uh, his frustrations, his temptations, his sorrows, his pain, his vulnerability, his betrayals, his crucifixion. Uh, these very human things that were going on. So we're talking about uh, this vulnerable Christ. And then Easter, uh, we have his resurrection. And even in in that resurrection, there are misunderstandings. And so, uh, as I said, we've seen for months now, the human side, and now we're gonna get a different uh, look uh, at uh, at this Jesus. And it's important to get this different look because we have to watch that we don't have too narrow a view. Now, this uh, book, this actually letter to seven churches was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, And he says, uh, in introducing himself, he says, I'm your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance. In the suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance. This little book is meant to be an encouragement and a blessing to the early, early Christians. It was written around 95. It was written when Domitian was the emperor of Rome. And at that time, uh, he declared himself Dominus et Deus, Lord and God. He declared himself Lord and God. And the rule of the land was to worship him as God. And consequently, In the time after that, the Christians faced incredible persecutions. They had their limbs chopped off. They had terrible things done to their heads. They were thrown to the lions. They went through this uh, horrific, horrific persecution, torture, because they would not declare that Domitian, the Caesar was God. Now, as we take a look at at this uh, book, we see the title of it, uh, uh, The Revelation. But in Greek, it's known as the Apocalypse of John, the apocalypse. And we usually associate uh, apocalypse with things like in the movies, Apocalypse Now. But it's really, uh, the actual definition is uh, revelation, that which is uncovered, and it comes from the Greek word, which literally means to pull the lid off something to pull the lid off something. Now, what we usually do when we're looking at the uh, uh, book of Revelation is uh, look with fascination about the things that are inside the book. For instance, here's the kinds of things that are mentioned in this book that we all have all heard about. Ten headed beasts, lions, bears, leopards, angels, demons, wars, uh, uh, lambs, beasts with seven horns and seven eyes, angels, oxen, eagles, four horsemen, seven seals, snakes, lampstands, and swords. And we go, great, this book is gonna uncover that. And we are often disappointed. We just did a a, uh, several month Bible study on the Wednesday night Bible study on the the book of Revelation. And uh, people kept asking me what some of these things Mean and uh, you know I've been teaching I've doing I said I have no idea <laughs> and when I did give an explanation they found it very unsatisfying uh, so uh, I was stuck but let's take a look at the way we look at it and the other people look at the Book of Revelation our friends in liberal churches uh, and, and progressive churches take a take a look don't look at this book seriously uh, they don't believe in a literal second coming of Christ. They believe that the second coming of Christ is really that moment when we, we experience God's grace and come into his presence, and that's the second coming. Now, on the conservative side, and unfortunately that's here, uh, uh, whether you like it or not, we tend to be the orthodox conservative side. Um, uh, we, we actually believe this. We believe Christ is coming back, but we suffer from perhaps an equal error and emphasis, because we've obsessed as to when this will be, when Christ will come back, and what date. Some of you know who Harold Camping is. He was a radio evangelist uh, back in the 80s and 90s, and uh, he predicted that on May 21st, 2011, Christ would come back. And he told all his followers, sell what you have, get ready, be out in the field, he's coming. Well, May 22nd came uh, around and uh, he, he announced to his followers that he had made a, a math error and that it would uh, occur on October 21st that year. Uh, shortly after that, Harold Camping retired uh, blissfully, uh, but it, he, he suffered from the error of trying to figure, what's this all about? And we have to be careful ourselves too. Jesus says in Mark, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. You do not know when the time will come. But that means we have to look at this more carefully and say, well, then what is this about? John has a vision. Uh, He's on the island of Patmos, and he has a vision. And uh, let me read that vision to you. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So we have this vision of the Son of Man. Eyes like fire, this white hair, a sword coming out of his mouth. Bronze feet that glowed from the heat. And when he spoke, it sounded like Niagara Falls. I mean, this was an almost horrific vision of who Jesus Christ is. So, John was suddenly face to face with the exalted and cosmic Christ. The exalted and cosmic Christ. And this is a Christ we don't often encounter, uh, certainly in the the day-to-day of the church. And quite frankly, this is not the Jesus we want to meet. Think about it. What people often say, oh, I'd really like to, to meet Jesus. And usually when we say that, we're thinking of that picture. Uh, it's, it was actually drawn by a man named Walt uh, Warner Salman back in the 40s. It's uh, either that head of Christ with the long hair and the backlight, or the one where Jesus is uh, standing at the door and knocking, you know, there's no knob on the outside. And again, it's the long hair, uh, perfectly coiffed uh, beard and his white robe is glowing. That's the Jesus we want to meet. But John says he's face to face with this strange cosmic Christ, with eyes of fire, the hair, a voice like Niagara Falls. I mean, it's just stunning. We have to ask ourselves, why are we getting this vision? And what is the context for the book of Revelation? And I hope this provides a context for the preachers who are coming afterwards. I'm gonna read to you the context that uh, is really uh, holding for this entire book. And it's something you're familiar with, Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a vision of what our warfare is like in our lives. Usually we take a look at our lives and say, yeah, I'm just trying to earn a living, trying to bring up my kids, trying to do the best I can, uh, trying to deal with the problems that go on in life. But Paul says we are in a cosmic battle we're fighting spiritual forces don't lose sight of that and so john in fact jesus reveals himself as this cosmic uh, cosmic savior now there are three things that this vision of the cosmic christ gives a vision of a king a vision of a, a priest and a vision of a judge the clothing he has on all connote those things So I want to quickly look at those three things and see why Jesus is revealing himself as that. The king is the the top uh, reality in this vision and you hear what Jesus uh, uh, says. He says, fear not, I am the first and last and the living one. Jesus Christ is demanding, at least exhorting, that he be the first and last in our lives. This is what he's calling us to to be the first and the last. And we see this uh, earlier on in go- uh, Mark's gospel at the transfiguration. Usually we look at the transfiguration as uh, you know, Jesus uh, revealing uh, uh, some things about himself and we see that it's really played out in, in uh, uh, Revelation. But there's something else going on. If you remember the story, Jesus says, transfigured. It says he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as one on earth, uh, no one on earth could bleach them. So it's this magnificent uh, vision. But the interesting thing about this is that Moses and Elijah appeared with him and his disciples didn't understand this. And I preached on this before, but it bears repeating. With Jesus standing before Moses and Elijah he is communicating to them and to us is that he is the promised land he is the first and last to whom we should go it's not about land it's not even about blessings it's always about Jesus Christ and he's emphasizing that not only in the transfiguration but in the book of Revelation and that's why he says I'm the Alpha and the Omega First letter of the Greek alphabet, last letter of the Greek, I'm the totality of what our lives should be about, because I am the totality of what life is about. And that relationship with him becomes extremely important. And we intuitively understand how important relationships are. Um, now, old people, like me, uh, like to talk about old forms of communication and how much uh, uh, better they are than some of the new forms. Well, I'm going to talk to you about an old form of communication. Some of you may not be familiar with it, it's called Facebook. Uh, It's hard to believe that Facebook's only been around for 16 years, it just seems like it's always been there. But it's interesting on on Facebook, uh, that when you get down to about section, it has a section that says uh, family and relationships. But when you hit that tab and you go to the top, the top category, is relationships. And we understand that in our own lives. We have all sorts of different relationships and those relationships are the most important things to us. It's not just family, it goes beyond that. And we understand why Jesus is using that for the the symbol for how we should be dealing with him, is to have that as the most important relationship. He is the starting point. Now, granted, we still have to take care of kids and work and you know deal with all the junk that goes on in our lives. But it needs to be in context, or it's empty. Now, the second thing that uh, this vision gives us is a Jesus is high priest. Jesus is high priest, and you recall the high priest is the one that goes into the temple to provide a sacrifice. We know that on the uh, Jesus on the cross, uh, uh, when he said it is finished. The temple was torn in two, which gives us access into the holy place, into the holy of holies. And it says in uh, Hebrews, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. So despite the fact that we have this exalted and cosmic Jesus Christ. He is our high priest and and one to whom we can come, who has suffered as we have, who we know will understand what's going on in our lives. One of the most important things about the high priest was to intercede for the people. And this takes us back to Romans 8, where Paul says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now, usually when we have that picture of Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father, we usually have some guy in a robe and talking. But here, we realize with this new revelation, that it's the cosmic Christ who is interceding for us before the throne of God. And he's interceding for us sympathetically. He's interceding us according to the will of God. And he's interceding for us because he loves us. And so we have this cosmic Christ interceding for us in this wonderful time. The third thing we have about Jesus is judge and protector. And I think this is uh, probably the most important part of the vision in terms of understanding uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, Throughout the book of Revelation, and you're gonna hear the other preachers talk about this, uh, is you see this judgment that befalls people. You not only see this judgment that is falling, befalling unbelievers, you also see, the, see, also see the protection that he is giving to us believers. He is constantly protecting the believers. And I believe this is the key to understanding what's going on in Revelation and why John says in the opening verses of, of uh, the first chapter, when you read this book, it will be a blessing to you. Now for most people when they read it, it's just utter confusion. It's the first chapter alone of, of uh, Revelation has 40 Old Testament references. You could spend a week going through them all and you go, how am I ever gonna get this? And then you look at the angels and the, and the beasts and the, uh, those with seven eyes and you say, I-, I don't get this, why is this comforting? The reason it's comforting is because of this vision of the cosmic Christ. Because Jesus Christ said, it's really not your business to completely understand. You need to, under, you need to know that I understand what's going on. I am in complete control. I will vindicate you. I will protect you. And I will destroy those enemies. Not only your enemies, but my enemies. And so this, this third aspect of this vision of Christ becomes important. Now, the question we have to ask is, how does this work out in our lives? How are, you going to, how are we gonna work it out here? And we're gonna, how do you put Christ number one, first and last, what goes on? Uh, and people of faith have to deal with this realistically, because we do have a great deal to do. But we have to start out with the habits of the heart. And that's why this worship service and why communion becomes so important. I don't know if you, it, it really clicked with you, but the first thing that comes down the aisle for the procession is the cross. It's not the minister, It's not even the Bible, it's the cross. And it's, it's part of that whole ritual of the Anglican community, but also the habit of heart, that we put the cross first. And when the service is over and the procession goes up, the cross will be the first to go back up. And it's, it, it's, it's got that central point. And it reminds us that Jesus Christ is the first. He's the last. He's still living. And he has the keys to death and to Hades. He has conquered death. And that's what our hope is. The other way we'll work this out too is when we come to communion. We'll come to the rail. And as we come to the rail, we're gonna have to understand certain things. we come with whatever understanding we have of the communion. But one of the things that we'll all share is that we will all kneel at the foot of the cross. We'll all kneel at the foot of the cross. That's our hope. There's a lot about this room that I have not warmed up to yet. And now that we're probably gonna own it, I can say, I'm really not wild about the windows. Uh, And I, I know some people are going, how could you not? I'm not. And when I first came in here, I looked at this cross And I thought it was too modern. I thought it was just not really appropriate. Well, I'm here to confess that I was wrong. It's the perfect cross. It's actually a cosmic cross. It's the cross that reminds me that we worship a cosmic Christ. And we come to the rail. We're gonna come and say, yes, he died on the cross, but he overcame the cross. And when you partake and take in the bread and the wine, you are partaking. In the cosmic Christ, who will bless you and keep you. He will be the first and the last, and He will love you to protect you and keep Him for Himself. Amen.